0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, episode 23. Hey, Katie, how are you?
0: Just dandy. How are you, Mike?
1: You know, it was an absolutely gorgeous weekend. Spring has finally sprung in Canada, so it was just so nice to be out in warm weather, and I actually changed from my work at home of pajamas and sweatpants to gym shorts, so the mm. season has officially changed.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, I... uh What we're going to be talking about today is just general thoughts that we had of how practices can sort of uh, prepare for the reopening. Look on a lot of Facebook groups uh, across North America, Europe, practice owners talking about, you know, as the economies are opening up, we got to get used to it now. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of put together five tips of what it's like to get used to opening up. The inspiration for this subject is, so I've been working from home generally since last March, March of 2020, when this all started. And part of the reason is where we are in Canada, we've had, we're now on our third lockdown. We'll be about eight weeks in total by the time we get out of this one. Social distancing and just keeping everybody safe. Uh, I've just been working from home and we're undergoing construction so we're working in small confines so another body doesn't help but last week i had to go in for a day and i was very socially distanced but it was my first time working the whole day in the office and i gotta be honest by about five o'clock i was done like just had nothing left of me i wasn't that exhausted being at work since i don't remember when i had a headache my back was killing me And I'm thinking, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm the leader of the company. I sort of have some freedom. But just to be there on site when you're not used to it, wow. So Mm -hmm. I figure not just me, but others. Because situations are going to be changing with curbside pickup being removed and people being welcomed back into offices and exam rooms. So I thought this would be a good subject to discuss.
0: For sure, yeah.
1: Usually we have a, a scholarly article to reference to, but I think this is just more of what Katie and I, when we're talking or we're meeting with clients, uh, working in clinics, I would say the five things that are sort of coming up there. So five are leadership slash empathy, communication, appreciation for our staff, workload, and some thoughts on future thinking. So I don't think any of these are in order. But, uh, other than leadership, because it begins at the top for sure. anything that comes to mind to yourself, Katie, in terms of what leaders need to be thinking about as we're starting to open up our practices into our new normal?
0: I don't know that it's any different than what we've been sort of preaching that leaders should be, have been doing this entire time. So being the anchor, being there to model the behavior and model the norms that we're hoping to see in the clinics. So I think this isn't a time for the leader to be like, okay, everybody go back to work and I'm just going to stay home. Uh, the leader needs to sort of show up and be available for people as well.
1: You know, as you said, I think big part of being the leader is the modeling the behavior you want. And especially, I think, going into this uncertainty, everybody looks to the leader, whether you think it or not. Uh, the leader of the practice, the leaders, it doesn't have to be by title, but the ones of, who are in a position to influence others, everybody looks at you for guidance on how you should behave. Mm-hmm. And as we're sort of opening up again, and there's going to be uncertainty with that, I think the focus will be renewed on the leaders in a practice to sort of like, is this what I should be doing? Is this, you know, how are you acting? Are you acting all stressed and nervous? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You may not be feeling calm, but at least uh, displaying that you're calm.
0: Exactly. Well, and I think too often leaders sort of forget that they need to be a little bit above things. And I don't mean that in a hierarchical way, but might have stresses from elsewhere. And I think it'd be useful for leaders at this time to have like a little coaching moment with themselves and say, what are my priorities here? What do I want to project And how am I going to be that leader? I mean, because everybody's stressed and leaders have, you know, kids who are going to summer wondering even about September already, what's going to happen with school. And while we talk about leaders being open and being available and, you know, vulnerability, we've talked about that before, there's sort of a line. You don't necessarily want to go in and talk extensively about your stresses and about how you're not sure what's going to happen, because that's not what people want to hear from a leader. I mean, th- they want to hear if you don't know something, but they don't, don't necessarily want to hear that you're, you know, hugely stressed out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think now more than ever, I just can't take my home life or personal life into work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is hard because as we're going to talk later as, you know, being empathetic and communicating of our staff, we have to be very sensitive to situations that other staff members are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the fun part about being the leader is you've got to set the tone no matter what's going on in your own personal life.
0: Definitely. I told you last week, I've been listening to um, the office podcast, which I never knew existed. So I've got like 120 episodes to go through, but seeing Michael Scott and doing what you and I do for a living, I'm kind of like, oh geez. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to be Michael Scott. You don't want to bring all of that stress and impossible chaos from your personal life uh, into work, I don't think. Yeah. So if you need a reminder of what not to do, just watch some episodes of The Office.
1: Yeah, no kidding. First <laughs> time I watched that, I was watching, I went, oh my God, there's some great business lessons here. And then I was like, when have I Michael Scotted at work? And I was exactly. like, oh, probably more <laughs> exactly. often than I want to think about. And, oh. and even now when I'm doing something, I'm like, is this bordering on Michael Scott or
0: well, and I think I mean in all honesty, what's really hit me in sort of listening and watching some of it again is and this is a bit of a tangent obviously but how much Michael Scott relied on the people at work to sort of be his family and be his therapy and be all of these things that they didn't sign up to be when they signed their contracts to go work there so I think that that's that's kind of what I'm getting at as far as you know we need to uh, think about what our role really is as a leader and put some of that, personal stuff aside and just be as strong as we can, or be as stable as we can when we're at work.
1: Yeah. And I think because we're leaders, to be a good leader is not to go in there and start talking about the challenges that you're facing in your personal or your home life, because you're that rock for everybody else. Especially as we're going into this uncertainty, it might be good as a leader to say, I mean, do I have any colleagues, other practice owners I know, can I Mm. reach out to them just to sort of vent talk. I don't know if a Facebook group uh, allows that on a candid level or the kind of follow-up, that kind of just listen to me talk for a while. So I really think whether it's a coach or some colleagues, friends, somebody outside of the profession, I think as a leader, you still need your room in your area to vent. So I think looking for people outside of work that you can do that with would probably be really helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So in preparing for this, we were talking about empathy and how it relates into leadership. So perhaps, Katie, you can sort of flesh that out.
0: We talk all the time about empathy and what it means. And just as a quick primer, basically, empathy is a super important thing for emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And it's the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and sort of be with them as they're going through something. Whereas sympathy is, I'm sorry that happened to you empathy is, I'm going to sit here beside you. And is there anything you need? And this just seems so difficult. And it's not saying, oh, well, you know, I went through this and I had it worse. It's just being there and being a listening ear uh, for somebody who might be going through something difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as it relates to leadership, I think your story about going into the office for a day last week is a really interesting one, because there are people who have been at the office every single day since March of 2020, or pretty much every single day. So I think we have to remember that as leaders, we might be in a privileged position where we haven't had to be there. Uh, And just understanding that everybody has a different perspective as far as how they're Mm -hmm. coming into something. And I think for me, that's the, the biggest lesson that I've learned over the last few years working with practice owners and with managers and other leaders and organizations is understanding that everybody's got something different going on and and the stresses are different and just being open to that and understanding that not everybody's going to deal with something exactly the same way that you are but it's important for you to be there and to listen to them and, and have them express to you what they need in a safe place
1: yeah i think that's spot on what i've also learned recently though is that you meet people you talk to people not everybody can explain how they're feeling right now yeah true because I think now we're getting on, it's been over a year. I just think the fatigue for some people has just, it's just set in like a, a heavy, heavy backpack. And when you're talking to people, you're saying, is there anything I can do for you? You seem down, do you need some extra time off or what have you? I've been hearing for people's like, I don't know what I need mm-hmm. other than this to be all over.
0: Yeah, it's... uh and they might not know, you're right. I mean, it's, they know something, they know they're on that edge of burnout, which we've talked about. And uh, it's hard to know now what it is that's going to make it better for sure.
1: Yeah. Will a couple of extra days help? Sometimes not, particularly where we are, where we're still in a bit of a lockdown. It's like, it just kind of reminds me that I'm locked down. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
1: I just think, as you said, just at least letting them know that you are open or somebody within the organization is open to listen to them and to help them because that situation Mm -hmm. may change tomorrow. They may come in tomorrow and just say, you know what? I do need some time off or.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Can
1: I just change my schedule a bit? What have you? Mm -hmm. So I I guess tied into that. And I think uh, as important as it is when we're not in pandemic times is just clear communication. Mm -hmm. I think it's even more important now. I know we've talked about it before. But I think people are going to be coming to you as a leader and like, what's going on? What are our plans? Because this is so new and the way everything is being affected, as I think as a leader, when we're communicating, you know, we're sharing what we hope can be done. But I think, as we all know, the best communication is when we listen. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlap in what we're talking with empathy and leadership. But just to listen to people and don't make unilateral decisions without touching base with your team right now because, as you said, I've, I've walked in the office, and lucky me, I've, I've only had to spend a day at the office in a while, but people have been working there all the time. They have a lot more insight of what's going on. If I'm going to make any decision about the office and how we're doing things, I better be talking to the people that are actually there.
0: Absolutely. And this is one of those levers or levers, depending on how you want to pronounce it, of burnout as well, is that, you know, idea of decisions being made uh, in a vacuum outside of touching base with the people who it's going to affect. So it's so important to to listen and not assume that you have all the answers.
1: Yeah. Because you don't. No, and I said, you know, we're sharing plans. So we're talking about, okay, curbside pickup. We may be ending that in the foreseeable future, let's get some insight from people. Let's talk to them. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's something that they may say, you know what, can't do it all at once. Maybe we do, there's a way we can gradually introduce it. And I know we'll talk a little bit about this when we talk about future thinking about stuff. I just think, just listening to people, getting their point of view, incorporating their thoughts into any decisions. You know, when you got somebody within your organization, maybe you're a small group, eight, nine of you and one person is so not on board with where the group has to go. I don't think you need to necessarily stop your plans for the one person, but that's where back to the empathy and and communication is just maybe you've got to talk to this person more, find out what's what's going on. Maybe there's ways of accommodating them, yet accommodating the the momentum of the majority too. So Mm -hmm. tricky times. And I think the other thing about communication is really – being so upfront with, yeah. this is what's happening. This is where I want feedback. This is where we want to go. You know, we say this time and time again, and the absence of us giving people information, they're going to make up their own story. And more likely than not, it's probably going to be wrong. So let's get ahead of it.
0: Absolutely. It's so important Uh have that consistent, you know, and have a a way where people know this is where I go for the information. These are the expectations for me to read it. Because there's also nothing worse than you put all this effort into communication and then people didn't get it for whatever reason. So making sure that they understand and that they're held accountable for making sure that they're open to receiving that information. That's important as well. But you're, you're so right. You you know, people have so many questions and uh, it takes no time for the rumor mill to get going if you don't, uh, you don't have actual facts to give them.
1: And I know, I'm sure there's people listening and going, you know, I'd love to have a staff meeting, but we're so darn busy. I can barely keep mm. up with the patients. How am I supposed to have a sit down with my group? We're not saying you know, I have to have a sit down every day, every week, but when you're, when you're starting to talk about major decisions and implementing major decisions, it's worthwhile to book that half hour off or 45 minutes. I mean, this is as critical as anything you're doing. And again, if you're just got your head down, I'm just working, 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 uh, which is what we feel like we need to do right now, that's when people are going to make their own stories. And that's where confusion is going to start. So it's kind of a preemptive kind of, let's nip any kind of uh, uncertainty or confusion in the bud and invest in the time to do it right. Absolutely.
0: And also, I think it's not necessarily directly related, but I think it is still communication related is people are frazzled, people are burnt out. And I think making sure that people understand what the expectations are for how they communicate with each other as well, that's really important mm-hmm. because you know, when people are stressed, they could get short with each other, they don't have as much patience and relationships can really get damaged in those circumstances. So making sure that as leaders rolling back to leadership, that you are modeling the type of communication that you want to see in your staff uh, is really important as well. Just so you, know, you can't use it as an excuse uh, for people to treat each other badly because it's a slippery slope. For sure.
1: So I guess that's a great segue into the next tip. And that's just appreciation. And I'm I know this is really one of your subjects that you like to to talk about. Just maybe you can share what you think, how people can show appreciation or why we need to be talking about appreciation so much now.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the cornerstones of performance management, and that's not just a yearly performance review, but ongoing performance management is making sure that you recognize when things go right. And uh, appreciation is such a huge part of this. And we've talked before on how to give meaningful appreciation. But I think it's even more important now when people are, you know, everything seems like a negative and each piece of news or each thing that happens just seems like it's cutting people down. So taking that moment to recognize what people are doing well is just so important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture, could even just be listening, like we were just talking about giving somebody time, giving somebody 10 minutes to talk, uh, but also just sort of recognizing how they've gone over and above to make things easier for a colleague or how they've helped the practice in some way it's so important to recognize this stuff and appreciation, the lack of appreciation, when we look at a dysfunctional practice that we might be starting to work with, that lack of appreciation comes up again and again. And it's not good enough to just say, well, they get a paycheck, and that's their appreciation. The paycheck is in exchange for their labor and their time. It's a totally different thing. So people start to say, Oh, well, we gave them a bonus, and they should know that we appreciate them. It's like, well, it's not quite that easy. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be a little more strategic about how we do things. And it could just be a a verbal appreciate, you know, thank you for uh, a very specific thing that they did. But there are loads of other ideas that you could give and you could make appreciation really uh, personalized for somebody, you know, give them a gift card for uh, Starbucks or something that they like. Uh, But just make sure that they understand that you see them and you see what they're doing. It's just amazing how once you set the example as leader for showing appreciation, they start to do it with each other as well. So they know it's not just a transactional thing. Uh, it's sort of an organic appreciation of what's happening with colleagues as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really a critical point is that it can't be transactional and it can't just be, all right, if I gave him 50 bucks, please just shut up now. I've shown I appreciate it. And I think most people, yes, we like the $50, but if the leader of the practice sits down and meaningfully says, I really appreciated how you helped out cleaning up after surgery, it helped the team get out earlier. Uh, It's been long days. Your little effort made all of us feel better. That, I think, is much more meaningful.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think really just I would urge people to uncouple that idea of money is appreciation because. Money is what they they signed up a, a contract, you know, to do a job for a certain amount of money. And that's what they're doing. But that's not enough. No matter what you say, like, you can never just say they're just doing their job. That's just not how you look at it.
1: You know, whenever I think of just giving money to show appreciation, I, I think of TV shows or movie when somebody is giving money to kids or to a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And it's just like. If I do it, that'll shut them up. Mm-hmm. And it's just an excuse of a real connection. I'm just going to give them money.
0: Yeah, well, and it's interesting. Um, one of the articles that we read in preparation for this podcast, and just skipping ahead a bit because it was sort of more of the future planning. Uh, you know, there was a quote that I really liked from a nurse who, you know, there's an article we'll talk about, I'm sure, about how so s- droves of nurses are thinking about leaving the profession, and why wouldn't they? But in this vein of appreciation, the quote is, I don't need more pizza, I need more people working with me. (laughs) So you know, like you can only um, put a bandaid over a wound for so long, but you have to actually do something about it. So I think you can't just sort of think that you can mend things that are in issues or problems or something like that, just by buying somebody Starbucks that day, it goes a, a lot deeper than that. And they need to see uh, you showing up in a consistent way every day and making sure that you are seeing them and seeing what their efforts are is so important as well and and figuring out what they need obviously mm-hmm. but i thought that was a really good quote it was like ew right <laughs> okay good reminder
1: yeah absolutely that is a good one and i think a final thought for me on appreciation is when you meaningfully thank somebody show appreciation they feel better which makes you as a person giving the thanks makes you feel better because you've made somebody's Mm -hmm. day a bit brighter but then it starts this sort of virtuous circle and it it starts to develop this culture of appreciation and then the person you thanked says you know hey i'll 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 be more open to thanking other people and so on and so forth and it's just it just makes everybody have a happier day
0: yeah there's really no downside at the end of the day
1: yeah true so so the other area, and you were just talking about it now, no more pizza, I need more bodies, reducing workload. Yeah. If there's a theme of the last 18 months is everybody's doing more with less. And mm-hmm. people are holding it together, but at some point we need to relieve what's going on. The curbside pickup takes more time. Everything takes more time. So any thoughts that you, you have on that, what we're seeing in practices on, on helping Reduce the workload.
0: Yeah, and it's it's such a conundrum. Uh, but you know, a thing, uh, and I, you know, you did it with your own practice in the earlier stages of COVID was reducing uh, or restricting opening hours. I don't know any s- clinic right now that's overstaffed. So, you know, looking at the people you have and being realistic about what they can accomplish and the support that they need. So whether that's if you were previously open till nine at night, maybe now you're only open till six or, you know, doing something to recognize that you just can't do more with less uh, in a sustainable manner anyway. Uh, And I know it's difficult because often the people that we do have, we're having to pay them more, which I think is a good thing. But then, you know, people are like, well, we're working very inefficiently. So now I'm cutting hours and that revenue is not coming in. It's like, well, what do you do when you don't have enough revenue coming in? Maybe look at what you're charging or, or look at where you are with your services and can you do anything more efficiently? Can you expand the role of certain people in the practice to do more to free up time for others? You know, you kind of have to, I think, think about things a little differently than we have and think about not necessarily giving people more responsibility, but can we redistribute the responsibility or think about how people are working differently?
1: Yeah. Another thing that uh, we did, but I recommend others doing too, is at some point you might just want to say, you know what, for the next little bit, we're not taking on new clients.
0: Right, right.
1: Because what ends up happening is you're taking on new clients and and onboarding new clients takes a lot more work. But then, oh, it's frustrating when you see a regular trying to get in. Mm -hmm. But your day is you've got a couple of slots there that are new clients. And I always think of, you know, we're always eager, eager, eager to bring on new clients. That's how we grow our practices and makes us feel like we have a thriving practice that more people want us. But sometimes it's at the expense of the existing clients. And we Mm -hmm. don't want to give our existing clients thinking like, I used to be able to call up my practice and get in relatively quick. Now I got to wait three, four weeks. Ah, Mm -hmm. That's not fun. And so I sometimes just got to say, you know what, maybe for the next month, let's see how it is. And I like putting a timeline is, you know what, we're getting slammed right now let's not take on new clients in the month of May. Month of May is over. Let's sort of re-examine how we're doing, what the workload's like, how busy we've been. And then if if we're feeling up to it, we can take on more. This goes back into the communication of getting the feedback from people to say, you know, hey, this is, you're all tired. I'm thinking of reducing hours. I'm thinking of maybe not taking on new clients. What do you think? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's nothing worse than, being a, a client somewhere for like 10 years, and then all of a sudden, they're doing this sort of blowout promotion for new clients, or they're doing something wonderful for new clients. And you're like, well, what about me? Yeah. I've been a loyal client for all this time. Yeah. So I always thought it was a bit backwards to do that. But you know, also think about, okay, is there some way we can appreciate our existing clients for their patients?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What can we do for them? Uh, what would they value? I think that that's something to think about as well.
1: I also think, and this ties into appreciation and leadership and empathy, is you know our workload is extreme. This is a great time to start looking at certain clients you may not want in your practice anymore. And we talked yeah. earlier in one of our podcasts is the clients not always right, but you know these disruptive clients take so much out of your team, mm-hmm. and they take extra time, a lot of much more management. So maybe it's a time you know you're busier, you're overwhelmed with work is all right, is there anything we can pair away? Uh, This is the time to do it. So I I would look at that aspect too. Absolutely. So our last area is one of the key ones is we are slowly uh, emerging from our COVID cocoon. And what does it look like afterwards? I don't think anybody that says, oh, it's going to be exactly like it was before or it's like this or like that. I don't think any of us have an idea. No this is why i say it's really a good idea as a practice owner leader manager is start looking at what's going on in other industries other countries you know we have an advantage in canada because the us and the uk are opening up quicker than we are so we can look at those countries and go what what are they doing what's working Mm -hmm. you know uh what how are things changing and so i think those things we can learn so
0: yeah absolutely I think one of the big things that popped out for me is, you know, the articles that you'd plucked out and just other, um, seeing articles, I mentioned it before about, you know, the volume of human nurses that are thinking of leaving the profession. Mm -hmm. We've sort of leaned on their, our perception of their resilience for so long, like, you know, Oh, whatever happens, they're just going to deal with it. And, you know, I know people who have loved ones or acquaintances or friends who are nurses. Uh, I mean, there's only so much that they can take. And uh, I think that um, that issue isn't something that's, you know, just in human nursing. I think it's an issue with our support staff and our veterinarians as well in veterinary clinics because it's been such a stressful time and just uh, so challenging. So I think we need to look at that and look at what do we need to do to support people to help them either cope or help them build resiliency or to make it uh, a better place for them to work so that it's, it's not so stressful.
1: I could see that happening. I mean, everybody's sort of, all right, we're in this. Uh, Let's get through this together. We got a great team. I want to support my team. I don't want to leave my team and and leave them short, but I'm just done. I'm tired. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: And maybe as a leader, you know, there's an opportunity as, you know, over the next few months, as things change, you start to get a handle on what things are doing. If you're in that position where you are able to hire more people. Uh, or maybe business starts to decreasing. There's been some reports that a lot of shelters are seeing a real uptick in a bunch of people returning animals. Those that adopted when the pandemic started are now going back to work and are like, oh, now what? And Mm -hmm. it's horrible to think of this, but now they're saying, I don't need this dog anymore or it doesn't work with my lifestyle anymore or this cat, so I got to return it. And maybe this boom that we've had, Will, will stabilize or, or actually decrease. I don't know, but I'm just saying there are some indications. So it's a long way of coming around to it and just saying, you know, you may find it instead of losing a great technician or a doctor because they're just fried. Maybe you can say, hey, how about a sabbatical? Take two months off, three months off. Mm-hmm. They've got to find a job somewhere and we need to make a living, but it may be, I just need a month just to not hear alarms going off and somebody coming in over the intercom. I just need to be chill. Mm-hmm. We may have to do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. And also, you know, the question of, and you know, it hasn't necessarily been a news story here in Canada yet, but uh, it will, I'm sure. But I know in the, in the States, there are countless articles about how, you know, restaurant, the restaurant industry, it's impossible to find anybody to work right now whether it's in a, in the kitchen or in a serving position or other uh, positions within the restaurant, fine dining, fast food, basically the gist of it is people got sent home. They went on unemployment uh, perhaps, or they found something else to do that pays more, perhaps pays more money with much less stress and better hours. So the restaurant industry is hurting now. And I thought, I thought it was really interesting. One of the articles we read uh, the quote, we don't have a labor shortage, but we have a wage shortage. And I thought that was really a poignant way of sort of encapsulating what the issue is. People are coming in to work for minimum wage where they could stay home on employment and it wouldn't be that much difference in what they're bringing home. Is That's a pretty sad state.
1: Or they can go work at an Amazon fulfillment center. Yeah. Make more money. Some of the fast food places, McDonald's is raising wages. Amazon Mm -hmm. is raising wages. Chipotle is raising wages. I mean, you know, it's not just the wages, but I think a lot of people are like, I'm just tired of the hours. Yeah. I've been home for a while and I've gotten to spend time with my family and I like that. Or I'm tired of dealing with obnoxious clients, which goes back to Mm -hmm. maybe it's time to fire some clients because you just don't need these people coming into your practice and just draining the energy out of everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, the wage aspect is really interesting. And, you know, I think like a lot of things, it will be temporary, but I think people are going to be less enamored, married to what they have done uh, just because the habits have been broken and they may have seen an alternative and Mm -hmm. how that will impact the vet industry just because we, A, it may be an opportunity for us to hire people because we usually pay a little bit higher than normal wages compared to minimum wage. But I think what it gets to me is this sense that people are like, I'm reconsidering what I do because this year has been a wake-up call in so many ways.
0: Yeah. The toll has been too high. People realize that they can live without doing that job. you know, if it was something that was really important to their identity, they're like, actually, I'm I'm cool with not doing this anymore. Or I do appreciate spending time at home with the kids or whatever. Yep. Priorities are incredibly different and they've lost somebody to COVID and the priorities are different. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's something really, To really have to think about and i mean we're it's impossible to find folks to work now and uh here in our pocket of southern ontario uh, and some of our friends in the states as well whether it's veterinary staff or technician staff or experienced reception staff it's it's hard and you know coming up against trying to hire technicians who have five or six other offers it's yeah it's really difficult so you know thinking about working conditions thinking about the benefits that we're offering. I know, you know, I know it's all expensive, but this is sort of where we are right now. Yep.
1: And this may be the time where if you're looking at your business, you're going, well, I can't afford to pay more. As you said, let's look at our pricing. Yeah. Maybe we need to charge more. I mean, things are getting more expensive. We could spend five hours talking about what-ifs, and 90% of them might not come true. I think it's just that general mindset of things are going to be a bit different. We don't know what mm-hmm. it is. Let's just examine and just keep our eye out. And as I said, we, we touched upon it earlier. I think the most obvious one is going to be bringing people back into the clinics. I mean, veterinary profession, by and large, predominantly introverted. We sort of went into there to take care of animals. And I know a lot of vets have been relishing curbside pickup because they can work with their team, less distractions. I don't know if clients have liked it so much, but when that starts to shift and more clients are coming in it's it's going to be hard for people so how we introduce that there may be certain vets that can take it more than others so i think it mm-hmm. just we as practice owners managers leaders have to be so flexible on this
0: yeah but i think you know a silver lining is that we've had the last you know just over a year 14 months 15 months to learn how to be flexible and learn how to be resilient and much as that sort of coated with a dusting of burnout and you know had enough of this Uh, There are lessons to be learned from Mm -hmm. the last 14 months in your own practice and like what worked and what didn't. And I think change is so difficult for everybody always. But seeing, okay, well, change happened, we had to adapt to it. And, you know, for better, for worse, we're on the other side. So taking those lessons that you've learned saying, well, how can we future proof ourselves really, for uncertainty that might go on.
1: And I think it's a great opportunity because of this change is it gives you the freedom to do things you might have wanted to do your, for your business that you just never thought you could do. So whether it's raising prices, limiting services, introducing services, the kind of clients that you're dealing with, it's almost this is the time where you can say, you know what, prior to COVID, your practice just wasn't what you thought it could be. Now is the time to make those changes as we're coming out of it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of optimistic about how, where things can go. So, Mm -hmm. well, I hope that's helpful. I mean, that's just what we see uh, five areas where I think any practice owner manager could really pay attention to over the next few months as we wake up out of COVID. And uh, I think it'll help you get further along
0: for sure. And as always, if anyone has comments about sort of what we talked about or thoughts on uh, future podcast episodes, let us know.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, Katie, let's uh, do our wins and fails. I I got an Mm. interesting one because mine's a combo.
0: I love the combo pack.
1: Go ahead. Well, so last week, many of you must have seen this of, and I know we have a lot of listeners in Europe, so I'll just sort of set it up. So there was a senator for a state, I forget which one it was, it doesn't matter, who was on a conference call and the subject was... Penalties for distracted driving. So, this mm-hmm. state senator could have been a provincial minister, could have been anything, was on this call. The challenge is he was driving through this call and he thought he was being smart by putting on like the Zoom background of an office. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got a seatbelt on and you're looking yeah. at the video, and all you can see him is, you know, he's driving. So, he's looking left and right. He's at an intersection, he's looking over. And it was like, everything you're doing and how you look we can all tell you're driving yeah the bad side of this like what an idiot uh to think that while they're talking about traffic safety and distracted driving he could have a conversation driving with a backdrop the good part of it is and this is why i love the internet and why there's a lot to to dislike about it lately is it really exposes idiocy
0: (laughs) That's true.
1: And I was just like, you know, <laughs> it starts to let us see what people are really like. And uh-huh. this person can go on. If we had never been exposed to this, he, you know, like most politicians are going to go on there and talk about what great things they do. And we all know how politicians speak. That's their job. And they go on there. And But then you can see the actions and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to take too much what you say in the future too seriously. So that's yes. my win and fail in one. <laughs>
0: A combo uh okay so my fail a little less funny basically it's just an article that i didn't really think about or think about this situation but uh this is an article out of the globe and mail which is sort of a national canadian newspaper uh and the title is canada's new entrepreneurs ineligible for government assistance are bearing the brunt of lockdowns so uh basically uh, in ontario and in, in canada you know we had uh Emergency wage subsidy that came into place last year, and another emergency subsidy to help businesses. But the whole it was sort of all predicated on how much less your business made compared to the year before. So there's this whole group of people who started businesses last year who are struggling, and uh, they aren't eligible for those uh, subsidies. You know, I hadn't thought about that before. So you know, this article. Uh, focuses on uh, folks who started a pizzeria, like a fancy pizzeria in Guelph, which is near to where we both live here in Southern Ontario, and how, you know, they've had to sort of figure this all out themselves. I mean, they had plans in place to do things, obviously, for years before COVID hit. But, you know, they're not eligible for government assistance. And uh, it's just it's very stressful for them. So I just thought it was interesting. uh, And I think, I think our government did what it had to do. And, you know, I think things mobilized pretty fast as far as support went. And I think that was great last year. But, you know, there's this sort of hidden sector that Mm -hmm. I hadn't necessarily thought about before. So Canadian government should think about equity in this, this stage for sure.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
0: Uh, And then my win uh, isn't necessarily a specific thing, but uh, you talked about a positive thing that you were going to for news in in the last time we did wins and fails, I think. So mine this time is an Instagram account. Uh, It's called Good News Movement. So good news, one word, underscore movement. And they post a few times a day of basically good news. So things that happen around the world, it might just be somebody, you know, a citizen doing something nice for somebody else or a bigger movement. And it's just stuff to sort of balance out all the negativity that we're seeing. And uh, I really quite like it. I mean, It's one of those things where you're like, you know, every second one, you're like, well, this made me a little misty. So uh, I would definitely, if you're looking for some happiness and some reminder that there is still good in the world and positive things happening, I would check out Good News Movement. It's, it's really excellent oh, uh, wonderful. social media platform. Yeah, it's great.
1: Well, great. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And please, uh, if you don't mind giving us a review, which whatever podcast platform you're using, just. Uh, Spread the word and let other people know about it. And again, if you have any subjects or questions about human resources, please let us know. You can reach us at info at oculusinsights.net or any of the Instagram or Facebook. So uh, until next time, we'll talk later. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, OculusInsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.